0: Hello, my name is Christian. I'm heading the company building unit Forward 31 of Porsche Digital. And I'm sitting here together in the room with Tim Leberecht, the co CEO, co founder, and co curator of the House of Beautiful Business. This is a brand new episode of the second season of the Next Visions and House of Beautiful Business podcast. Hi, Tim. Hi, Christian. Uh, Great
1: to be back. We are here in Berlin, Mitte, in a building that we call Tucholsky Palace. Uh, It's not really a palace, but uh, it feels like one. And Mm -hmm. we are actually here in person, unlike the contributors to the Season 2 of the Next Visions podcast, because they only met online and conducted their conversations remotely. The next episode that we'll hear is titled The Ultimate Augmentation, and it'll feature Yazaman Sherry and Moon Ribas. And the theme here is, or what they have in common, is the idea of a union, a new union between technology, nature, and humans. Moon Rebas, I remember actually from last year's annual gathering mm-hmm. of the House of Beautiful Business, because she gave a, a performance in the courtyard of the building in Lisbon that we were in, and she just stood there, and the idea was that she would begin to move whenever she felt an earthquake, a seismic activity going on anywhere in the world, which didn't happen, so she didn't move. I mean, she's a Catalan avant-garde artist and the co-founder of the Cyborg Foundation. That is an organization that helps people become cyborgs, defend cyborg rights, and promotes cyborg art. And Yazaman Sherry is a creative director... Uh, She's very interested in the interactions of humans, living things and machines. She works in the field of sensing and perception and currently she works as a principal designer and curator at IKEA Research and at the design lab Space 10. So
0: that sounds super amazing and also, by the way, I'm half Japanese. We are big time in robots and cyborgs, so I'm very curious about this episode. So let's listen into it.
2: Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Where are Good.
3: you? <laughs> I'm near Barcelona. Actually, I'm in Mataró, which is my hometown. And it's a small city, nearly a town by the coast. So yeah, I guess different from you because for here, the sea is very relevant and the water. <laughs>
2: and you, where are you? I'm right now in Southern Oregon in United States at a farm. And every now and then you may hear a rooster in the background just (laughs) going off because it's morning here. But just prior to here, I was also by the water. It's amazing to just really experience the life forms here versus there by the water and on the ocean uh, as opposed to kind of inland. Yeah, I was just saying, you know, there's a little studio cabin I go and write in and it looks really dreamy, almost like too, <laughs> like a romantic idea of like a, you know, rider in a cabin. And I looked out the window and I saw this deer, deer family, actually. But one of the deers was just kind of staring at me. And I was like, what do I do now? <laughs> we were <laughs> yeah, staring really at each other.
3: <laughs> yeah, you were just acknowledging each other, no? Is it? And actually, well, we could, because we were talking about the sea and I've been so driven to it because I'm... I'm studying to take uh I don't know how it's called in English but like the driving license but for boats. So I want to learn oh, cool. how to navigate and I have the test this weekend. So I'm all the time studying like how to be able to yeah navigate in the under the sea. So that's I think that's why I'm also like close by the sea and and I'm uh, learning learning about how this mysterious world of water works. <laughs>
2: I love that you're saying that I'm actually learning how to surf. And um, so I'm also really experiencing the water. And I was just telling a friend recently how I feel really connected to the water and to like the feeling of, it's not like, you know, running. It's not like um, other forms of exercise because the tide is low, the tide is high. There's a wave one day that's big, there's a wave that's small. You have to really watch out for it. It's kind of like its own thing, and you have to navigate it. <laughs> so, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I bet you feel the same way. Actually, for me, it's been,
3: yeah, before it was feeling like the earthquakes and very the earth, but now for some time I I didn't. And now I want to have a new sense related to to the sea. So it makes like sense. No, it was into the earth, and now I want to go to the water. And actually what made me think that is that... um. I went diving for the first time some 2 years ago something and like for me it was how, it was incredible because you went down there and for me the most impressive thing apart from the fish or the or the species uh, the plants it was like the massive blue space that there's there that it's like flying and I thought this is the most similar thing that Probably it's like, it's like flying or being on space. I love this, this thing about the water that it's so close to us and like the whole planet, most of it is water, but it's still so mysterious. And you need, and, and I find it that it's similar to space because it's like you need another way to breathe, another way of ex- exist on the, on the water in order to, to relate to this, to this world. And and yeah, so we're trying all the things, no, like diving. Now I'm trying to with a boat, you are surfing. So we, I think humans, we want to reach out to this mysterious world that's around the earth.
2: Yeah, and definitely for me, there's this element of control that feels really like you kind of have to relinqu... It's not like completely relinquishing control when you're in the water. I feel like humans have so much power over land like we completely you know in the topic of augmentation we've augmented all of earth and and you know with farming with with the way that we live with highways with where we decide where to live and so on how much water we take from wherever to bring to the cities that we want to sustain but um yeah, being in the water, there's a force, like an actual physical force that pushes you. And yeah, you kind of have to, like, you know, uh, in surfer culture, which I'm not a part of. Maybe yet, I don't know, <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, you gotta ride the wave. <laughs> and, and, I, and I thought about this notion of riding the wave and how it's like this balance between yeah, like control and not control. Um, you're kind of like working with the water. Yeah, there's something I think about that a lot. And I do think it has to do with sensing. So I'm really, you know, I, I know your work. You've been thinking about sensing a lot and I have been thinking about that too. But yeah, I think we're just, maybe I'm craving that and yeah, yeah. in this time.
3: Yeah. About what what you said about controlling, for me, what I felt more I mean, of course, there's lots of control with power and humans, but with a, a personal point of view, I did, because of this boat thing, I did uh, workshops of how to navigate, but with, um, and I just, I don't know the word in English, like the, um, the boat that has... Sail. Yeah, say Yeah, that you have to move because of the wind. So yeah. you move, you move if the wind blows or not, yeah. and depending where you are. So after that, it was like a conversation with the wind. So for me, this uh, for me it's a nice thought and I think surfing should be like this, no? It's like a conversation. It's like absolutely they they blow and then you yeah, no, you have to deal with it. It's like you're on the sea and yeah. this wind, it's like and this it's what I try to do. So like with uh, I am creating like a new piece that I want that the main thing is like to have a conversation with natural phenomena on stage, no or like treat them as they say things, they blow or they, they they exist in another matter, and then you try to understand them and, and put them in a way or have a conversation no? with a. I with
2: I I really bit. love that metaphor of conversation. It also reminds me of dancing. I took some tango lessons a while back, and <laughs> again, it's the notion of control comes up of you listen and give, and then everything's kind of real time, and you're really working with the partner. And I felt the same way with surfing, actually. And I think conversation is a really good metaphor for this interaction.
3: Yeah, because yeah. conversation, you need to listen in order to have a conversation. And then I think humans really need to do that, no? The human species needs to to listen and to understand where they are. And then you can build something.
2: Yeah, that's a really <laughs> good one. Especially, you know, now I feel like slowly people are listening to, you know, the... Kind of the bigger challenges and the catastrophic things that are happening in nature, I think this notion of conversation and listening is, yeah, it's important. Uh, I was in the water the other day, and my feet got this black smudge on on it, and mm-hmm. I was wondering, "What is that? What's going on?" And I couldn't take it off. And uh, a friend of mine said, "Oh, that's tar." And tar is like, a, I guess, a, a piece of oil. I don't fully understand. Oh, but, um, wow. Okay. And I I was really surprised. And I looked into the ocean and I saw, you know, there's th- th- that part of, you know, California has like uh, oil rigs. And so I was really disappointed. And to think about how, <laughs> you know were really affecting the ocean. I just noticed on my feet, but I, I can just walk out of the water and go, you know, live in my home and breathe the air that I breathe. But the animals that live in the water, like they breathe, they they live in that space. And these bits of oil, it just, oh, it was just a weird experience. And it really, it was very emotional. Um, and I don't know, maybe it doesn't affect them, but I, I doubt that it doesn't no, affect it them. No, it does.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's like so... So horrible, what we are doing, no, like we are dumping everything in the sea, like it's full of plastic. they say that soon there's gonna be more plastic than fish in the sea, and it's because we we are treating it so bad. we are making we are making yeah. it so so terrible. no, it's horrible, like um it's depressing, yeah, but it's it's nice what you said about the listening that now people listen more feel like especially the younger generations, no, it feels like they're more sensitive towards these things. And it's, it's a bit optimistic. It just, uh, sometimes it always uh, becomes into very political, I feel and very like people who have the power and the big decisions to stop, like really like changing the system, they're not interested in that. So as long as the system doesn't change, it's very difficult yeah totally maybe we know that we leave things on the sea and me too eh? like and but we don't know enough no have you heard about Boyan? i don't remember his surname that he made a machine in order to collect plastics from the sea Mm. he's very young and he's like cleaning the Mm. the seas and the ocean i was like wow that's Mm. this is like something very (laughs) very useful like I want to do something like this, you know, something that makes like practical impact a good in yeah. Things
2: I I love also what you're saying about listening, just cause the metaphor really focuses on like sound, obviously, because listening is like you listen to a sound. But I felt like, you know, when I picked up that piece of tar that felt like listening. It it felt mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm mm-hmm. it, it's more like observing and paying attention. And observation mm. feels like it can happen in so many different senses and ways. Mm. Um, and so I think that metaphor of listening can apply to so many different ways of being still, just watching, sensing, experiencing the things around you. And in some ways, it asks you to have empathy as well for other beings. Um mm-hmm. And recently, I've been thinking a lot about other beings, like this notion of other beings. What does other mean? And like, mm-hmm. what is the boundary of me and another species? But yeah, I think that's interesting. In the context of, you know, augmentation, I thought a lot about it. And I thought, how do we define augmentation? And when you look in Silicon Valley or when you look in, you know, healthcare, the notion of augmentation is really, really different than like... Yeah some of my thoughts about augmentation, so. Um, what do you,
3: well, how do you experience, or what do you, do you do about augmentation?
2: Yeah, so I've been working in the field of interaction design for the last, you know, decade. And I've always been interested in philosophy of technology and how technology can play a role in our lives. And so to me, you know, technology has been an important aspect of how we change and how we adapt and how we explore our living styles. And in in some ways you could say that that's augmentation, any kind of technological addition or effect in our lives is some form of augmentation. But I actually worked directly on an augmented reality headset, which I remember the time you you came to visit us and we showed the HoloLens um and Microsoft yeah. HoloLens head mounted display. That was really fun. I really enjoyed I really enjoyed talking to you Me too. You
3: know. I, I, you, I I went like, yeah, yeah, now I remember. Yeah, I was looking yeah. at you and I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was yeah. great.
2: Yeah, so that that's kind of like I think the word augmented reality and augmentation as a term um became kind of more a part of my vocabulary, I would say. I would say prior to then, it was more, more conceptual. Sorry, not conceptual, but the concept of changing your reality, or changing your body, or changing, you know, um, our living environments through technology is kind of what, how I would like reference and talk about. But the word augmentation came more into my vocabulary after that experience, and. What I got interested in after, you know, building an operating system kind of computation that, you know, is part of, it's a spatial computing device, but also it sits on your body in many ways, augments your vision, augments your uh, gestures, augments your space. And I, I really began to think about sensing and what sensing means because a lot of the ways that this, you could say, computer that's you're putting on your head can become uh, a part of you because it can sense. So we gave it all these different sensors that it can sense the space, it can sense your gestures, it can sense um, objects, it can sense different things. And, And I was thinking about this notion of like giving sensing abilities to you know, non-living things like a device, and what that means, um, and of course it hit a lot of limitations, such as <laughs> smelling. You know, because it's 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 the materials of it aren't not made for that, and and you know when you look at humans or other living you know living things in general, uh, there's so many different kinds of sensing that they have, and it's very apparent that it builds some sense of intelligence for us like olfaction as intelligence. So yeah, that's where I started to think a lot about sensing and augmentation. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you?
3: <laughs> well, you said uh, many things that uh, resonate to my work. Of course, I consider myself a cyborg artist and then I my base is art. And I guess as artists do, we reflect how we see the world, and it's like trying to, to see the world in, in, in different ways, I guess. But for me, the definition of cyborg art is like creating a new sense that makes you experiencing reality in another way. And then I, we say uh, that it's cybernetic because we use technology to create this new sense that helps you to design your own reality. So I did different projects, but I guess my latest and, re- and relevant one is, it's called a Seismic Sense, which uh, it was sense that I had some implants in my body that were connected to online seismographs. And whenever there was some earthquake uh, somewhere in the world, I would feel a vibration inside my body. And depending on the intensity of the vibration, depending on the intensity of the earthquake, the vibration I would feel would be stronger or less strong. So I I call this the seismic sense sense of feeling the how the the earth keeps keeps moving. And then yeah, like I guess like the word of a cyborg artist like description of a new sense. For me it was I end up with earthquakes because I'm, I'm a choreographer and a dancer and I wanted, my base was movement and I wanted to experience movement in, in other ways. And I thought, well, movement is not just a human thing. <laughs> human, uh, There are many things that move that we don't perceive. And then I start uh, uniting myself with technology in order to experience other ways of, of movement. My first projects, when I unite myself with technology in order to experience movement in other ways, My first was about the speed of the people walking in front of me. And I did some projects about defining the speed of different cities. And then I had some earrings that allowed me to feel what I had behind, but everything, so for my sense to work, I depended on, on people. And there was a point that I was kind of, I don't know, I didn't want like my sense to depend on other people. And then I had this image. I was like, okay, if I would be alone in the world, how would I feel movement? And then, yeah, I realized that earth constantly moves, not only rotates, but it shakes constantly through earthquakes. And what also fascinated me is like earthquake is a huge and massive movement, but most of the time imperceptible for many areas of the world, no, like most of the time. And I, I really like this, it really fulfilled me, this idea. And then it's when I start Creating the, the seismic sense. and That's related fantastic. Related to what you <laughs> said about, the, yeah, at the beginning it was just artistic, but then of course it makes you see society or the world and humans and then you, you start thinking about other things. And then, yeah, there's this way lots of people talk about how technology can alienate you from reality or make you more... Mm, egocentric or like this, all these bad inputs. But it's a human decision to make this union between technology and humans, good or bad. And for me, I think it's it's it can create a lot of empathy, as as you said, no, but this this world, it's if you if you understand better where you are, if you understand better the world, if you understand better the sea, the other animals, you probably will have more empathy towards those species and those. The, towards other, other things. So if you can relate better, you understand better, you can feel it more deeply, you probably create more empathy or at least it's my theory. And when I remember that, uh, a lot uh, trying your, your glasses of mental reality, and I don't know if, if uh, Neil and I already came up with this term, but now because we said, okay, what we do, it's not augmented reality, it's not virtual reality. And then, then we came up with this term that we called "reveal reality, because with these new senses, uh, we sense things that we cannot perceive through our natural senses, but exist. So for us, it's like revealing something that exists that we don't perceive. So
2: yeah.
3: we do uh, re- reveal reality.
2: like <laughs> I think that's really interesting because I think a lot about the invisible things that we can't sense. And I you know it it's it's not to say that we need to humans need to reveal everything and know everything I think there's no, there's yeah. a beauty and there's a there's like a serendipity and sure yeah just. Just some keeping some things not revealed. you know it's also beautiful. I, I think that's okay. Uh, but I do love the invisible aspect and, and and this imperceptible things. There is something very profound when you get to sense something that you haven't sensed before. and and so in that way, I really love some of the things that you're mentioning about the invisibleness mm. and invisibility and imperceptibility aren't about like vision they're about so many other things mm. um, but i love everything you're saying about the scale i think that in that way you know you've kind of gone to the macro scale of sensing earth and sensing like a, a planetary sensing i've also had this interest in sensing things that are uh, imperceptible at a different scale as well and different temporal aspects as well and so, I, I was really curious about the microorganisms and, and the micro at a micro scale. And I connect with that a lot, especially with the way that you're describing. Because uh, when I was interested in the mi- microbial kind of sensing, I did a project around that with Ginkgo Bioworks where we looked at biological sensors and Proteins that can sense molecules, that can sense odor, uh, flavor, toxins, hormones, so on, which brings up a lot of questions. But um, just diving into that kind of micro world, (laughs) it's really profound, you know, the things that you discover. And also you discover that so many things on Earth, so many living things Mm -hmm. on Earth uh, (laughs) have (laughs) these things. (laughs) that they can sense with that, you know, we don't know, we don't fully understand. Um, Even I remember one of the head scientists, he was like, if there is a molecule in the world, there's probably a biosensor for that molecule. And I thought that was really interesting, you know, (laughs) so there's this sensing is happening all around us. And the imperceptibility is definitely there because we're humans and we're at a certain scale. I also related. A lot to what you said about sensing alone or sensing together. And recently I've been thinking about collective sensing a lot. And I'm really curious your thoughts on it as well. Um, Like how do we sense together or what does together sensing mean? I've been looking at these organisms called superorganisms. So like termites, ants, bees. um, So kind of the more collective Mm -hmm. uh, species that sense together, but especially termites because they, you know, by themselves, they sense a little bit yeah, and maybe a hundred of them sense more, but then you get like a thousand of them and they're they can build things that are bigger than us humans. And so there's some aspect of both sensing and intelligence that can happen in this kind of collective way that I find really fascinating. And that itself feels imperceptible too, because... Yeah, it's yeah. like the numbers. I think that
3: um, what what you're saying, also what you said before about the invisible, my aim isn't like perceiving everything. It's just like this idea, sometimes that a very human idea that feels that the way the world is like this because I see it like this, but there's many ways of seeing it and perceiving it and existing. So that's why it's, my art is like a bit pushing this this thought even further. It's like we all sensing in different like other species, but even between us you know? because some people don't see colors. Totally. or some people don't so and, and maybe yeah. so that's why it's like, okay, make your own reality because we already have your own reality, so you see this world and and for me, like this mysterious is not about reaching out to everything it's just like finding yeah a more particular way or single and the more sing- a singular way to do it and i feel like i, mm-hmm. I relate cyborg artists like uh, i see it like explorers explorers of our own planet no and i i like mm-hmm. it to see it this way and about mm-hmm. the collective sense uh Yeah, the thing is, uh, we talk a lot sometimes also with Neil, that it's very individualistic. It's a very individual art, you know, because it's something that you are the only one experiencing. So I create performance and and music or pieces in order to share what I feel. But what I feel, so the art itself happens inside the artist. So it's a very individualistic art, which Mm -hmm. sometimes uh, it's fine, but sometimes it's like really lonely. So now for the first time I'm thinking because I'm I'm doing a collaboration with a contemporary circus performer that we're creating a stage wow. piece together. And wow, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, we, I'm actually on <laughs> Monday I'm starting a residency, so we're creating something more stage that it works on theaters and, and our aim is like to share the stage with natural phenomena so we can have a conversation with them on stage. And then because everything is so individual uh, and then for the first time I'm thinking, well, maybe we could share because he also wants to have a new sense and he's also interested in, in the sea. So he's like, well, maybe we could have the same new sense and then share this. So for the first time I would be like sharing this sense, a new sense if we have it. But then the collective, I think it's a nice idea, but I'm not sure if it's a... I don't know how to imagine it because everyone is so different. Everyone is so diverse. I feel like for me, it's easier to imagine like, yeah, sometimes we said, no, that I don't think everyone would be a cyborg and I don't think everyone would have technology. I don't think, I think that it would be more diverse what we think that we are humans and we would have many more ideas, like even more, uh, more diverse. And the collective sense, I don't know, how, how would that be? Like, what sense? Because I feel like there
2: would be a lot of disagreement. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's that gets really quickly into the equity and politics of, you know, this area, which is very relevant. And I think it's really important for everyone to think about And I like this idea that, you know, one of my, uh, I teach at Copenhagen Institute for Interaction Design, and I teach the course Sensing and Perception. And my students, you know, for the last five years, like they've been building, you know, sensing things. And and actually, it would be great for you to, you know, speak to them about cyborg and and your cyborg kind of thinking around cyborgs um, and, and what cyborg means today. But one of the groups created like, um, they they named it specifically cyborg and they were like three like they were like a trio and they created like really different stuff so they could sense really different things and they were like yeah we decided that on purpose to like sense different stuff because I'm more interested in this he's uh, yeah, more interested yeah. in this and I thought that was really cool to like just like you know drawing or or swimming or like I know surfing and and uh, sailing. Yeah, like people are. Yeah. But yeah, there's like a diversity in that. Um, sure. And then it made me question. You know, okay, well, as long as everyone has access to these different things, like who has access to these parts, or who has access to the knowledge, who has access to like change and morph and affect themselves in these ways? It, yeah, it, it very quickly becomes like a question of diversity with access kind of uh, Mm. question. Having said this, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no,
3: yeah, no, about this access thing that sometimes it's, um, yeah, it feels, uh, some people think that this, what we did is like um, very, that it's, you need a lot of money, but actually the first earrings that I had, it cost me 15 euros. So it's like so much expensive to buy an iPhone that actually I don't think rich people will become cyborgs, no? I feel like, especially now, the new generations, that they know how to code. And I also see this hacking community and also very anarchist and political. So I feel like there's two walls, you know? is This uh, can be very anti-system, anti, anti system too. Sorry, but yeah, you were yeah, saying yeah. something before. I don't want to...
2: No, I was going to say, Um, I think about devices that, you know, all of us use, like uh even as simple as like an iphone uh and like the different generations of an iphone and different sensors that it has like who gets to have access to those things that's kind of where i was thinking about Mm. if these technologies were to become more ubiquitous and i think from a prototyping and kind of more activist and exploratory side uh, absolutely i completely agree with you it doesn't take much you know it it takes like passion Mm. um and, and the right kind of people and mentality to explore it. But I was thinking, you know, collective sensing is also interesting to me just because we talk about augmentation a lot, and I think it has a lot of power to change perspective and to build empathy and to... To change the way you see the world, like if you think of it as sketches of reality, you know, like we see things, and if you close your eyes and you walk around, you sense different things, and that becomes a different reality. Or if you go to a different place and you know walk with your barefoot versus yeah. another place, you might sense different things. Sure. And yeah. yeah. I, I specifically was thinking, you know, in addition to building new ways of sensing sometimes i feel that our existing senses uh, and and ways of sensing aren't like we don't have education around the different senses and for instance exactly. smell is a big one and mm. i think you know smell is kind of like the lowest sense that you know we think about uh, unless yeah, it's, it's like the alarm. most un-
3: unknown no we don't some people are like oh can you do something like when in the Sound Foundation, we do like all the sensors and we haven't done done anything with the smell because it's the most difficult one and the most...
0: we it's know We know
3: very little about it. Everything also. Everything yeah, is based like, on the instance, vision.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Everything is sound and vision. And I think that has to do with, you know, the tools that we also have around us, like the sensors specifically because of the materiality. There are, you know they pick up sound and visual cues, uh, or, or haptic and so on. But I was thinking, you know, with my students, we went for a smell walk, <laughs> which, nice. which is like a common, common, yeah. <laughs> and, and so we go for a walk and then, uh, you know, smell is a very spatial experience. It's kind of like, I, I always make an analogy to Wi-Fi. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a signal. <laughs> it's like, how strong is that signal?
3: Um, and you cannot... And, it's very abstract, you know? You cannot point at it. Well, you can point at it. It depends if the, it's an the object. boundary...
2: <laughs> yeah. The boundary is really blurry. And it's like, there's a gradient. It's not like binary. Uh, It's like, I see it. I don't see it. It's like, I kind (laughs) of smell it. Uh, Yeah. And I asked the students to really, you know, try to communicate what they perceive. And it's very challenging because it's invisible and because it's not binary, because it's, you know, uh, on a spectrum and so on. And I think about that. And I think about the collective sensing that Okay, smell is one, and I I do think it's important to have that kind of education early on. But it also makes me think about, you know, we talked about the planet, global warming, all that. How do we sense these things that feel also invisible, also far away, also not binary, and almost like not immediately they, they are very relevant, but not immediately affecting you in mm. this kind of... How to make it direct. more tangible,
3: no? To you or
2: to... Yeah. yeah. And I think that's more a power concrete. that... Yeah. And I think that's a power of these kinds of prototypes and explorations as well, to reveal these things that we, we should care about or we want to care about, but they're really just... They're coming in as like you know, data and like information like pounded to you. And yeah, that's really hard to empathize with that when when it's just like I an know article.
3: That that's why sometimes when so when we did workshops sometimes with uh with the students or like these things for example, what you did with the the tree of your, your students that they wanted to do, they did a lot of sense. So everyone fits in. And I think it's really nice idea, but, uh, I think it's difficult to relate when there's so many things, that's why usually we say the other opposite. When you like, what sense, what, what could I sense? I wonder as like trying to be very concrete because then it's like more, I like very specific, then you can really relate. If not, it's, it's like the phone, no, an app that does so many, so much information and then it gets. Alineated, I don't have to explain this, but yeah, you know, like when, and you're more specific, I, I, uh, in a, in a way you relate deeper. About yeah. like this. I, feel. I
2: think, I think also it's interesting that we talk a lot about what you can sense. Um, so what information is coming in? I want to talk to you a little bit, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, <laughs> a little bit about the output. Like, how do you sense that? Like, um, within your body, within a space, Because you can also get a lot of this kind of sensing information. Actually, recently I was on a hike and I saw, I don't know what it's called, these sensors that, uh, I I think it's a GPS sensor, but it tracks the Earth's, um, because they're location sensors, when they move, there's like a many of them around, let's say, a state in California. Hmm. When they move, the distance between them gets tracked And so it tells like kind of how the earth surface is moving and changing. So that's kind of for scientists to The
3: magnetic north, the inclination. Uh,
2: I don't know exactly what they use it for. I I think it's for the geologists to understand kind of the earth's movement, um, Mm -hmm. um, earth's surface's movement. And I was thinking about that sensor, you know, that giant sensor that's the height of myself. And you can get, the placement of the sensor is at top of a mountain, you know, there's something really interesting about going out and putting the sensor there, right? But then probably the information comes in on your laptop or something, on on a on a computer, and probably they experience it in some. I don't know. I I, I don't know how they do it, but I imagine that it's not some like very experiential body experience <laughs> of like, you know. Um, and it could be, I don't know. But I, what I'm trying to say is, often we get the information uh, of sensors in a screen-based hmm. interface. Yeah. And uh, how you I'm, translate
3: this now into the body?
2: yeah exactly and or 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 not body, but space so so what are the different ways that it can be translated for it to have like a powerful impact because like mm. coming back to surfing and wind, you know navigating the wind on a sailboat, there is a very visceral embodied experience of like movement yeah, exactly. and, and mm-hmm. pressure and so yeah, I'm curious about that,
3: yeah, I think that's the 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 for me, it's where the art is no, like how you translate your your own experience of the reality to others. And this is mainly the the work. It's like, why? Well, how? How can I speak all these experience that I had with sensitivity? How can I do a performance about it on the stage? How can I translate this data that I just see in the screen into something more concrete into my body? uh yeah. yeah, the thing for me for example i I talk about the seismic sense specifically and because I wanted to feel it in my body- so also is uh something maybe new that uh with a sense uh, with the senses uh we we feel that we are we are hacking more like the the brain and like the experience of how you sense it it's not so much about the body, but I use the body because it's the tool that gets into the brain. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's mm-hmm. not just about uh, changing the, the body. It's more about changing the mind and, and or mod- changing mm-hmm. or yeah, modifying it. And because I wanted to to have this new sense, I said, okay, uh, let's be practical or how, so you need it to put it in your body. And then how can you feel it? Like you could put some glasses, but then like to vision something, but then you abstract. So what we try to, like what we do in the process of, in the science Foundation, when someone wants a sense, for example, it's first of all, what sense do, do they want? Uh, and then we try to say, let's be very concrete and specific. Then trying to see if something is already making, there's a machine or an animal or something getting this new data. And for example, with seismic activity, there's many and everything goes online. So that was easy. And then, okay. And this is like how you translate this data into the body. And then it's like, there's like two types of design, no? Like first the sense design. And then it's like the, the organ. We say it like in the same way to, to see, we have the eyes, to listen. We have the ears, to smile, we have the nose, and yet to touch, we have the skin. So. We need a new organ, but it's not the eyes, something like to get the input of this new sense. And I didn't actually, didn't work that much in the organ because for me, I wanted like to put it like very discreet. But for example, with Neil, it's very obvious because he wanted, he have this antenna, you know, that this is like a new body part and he wanted this antenna so he can move, blah, blah, blah. So this, this translation and it, for me, it made sense that I have this new implant that vibrates and it moves because the earth moves. So for me, the most organic thought that I, I thought is like, I want something that also moves, but I could have listened to the earthquakes, like translating this data with sound or vision or heat or something else. And then it's, I guess it's a decision of how you translate this, these, uh this data that it has nothing to do with uh, your body into something that it it makes sense. I guess it's a bit like creating a new language that you've learned very uh, slow and then it becomes natural. So it's between a language and, and, a, and a sense, I guess, having I mean, this. And yeah. then how, no vibration. like the
2: language.
3: Hmm.
2: Yeah, I like the language because it also, it's, it's not just a verbal language, it's also... Um, I actually don't drive. Central. No, I I I do drive, but like I try, I, I started driving a different car, and it, I was it was a manual. <laughs> and I was like really feeling, you know, the the space of the car's body, and I fully could feel that you know it has become my body and you know, a lot of people relate to that because suddenly the bounds of that space is really, really different. Um, And, and, and in some ways you kind of adapt your mind, like you were saying about the mind aspect, your mind starts to shift to that kind of space or, or riding a bicycle or whatever. Um, It becomes a part of you and, and you kind of navigate that, navigate space, especially around navigating space. I think, you know, there's this, yeah, it, it's, it's almost like you're augmenting your own body to be something different mm-hmm. and your brain is kind of switching to that. The same thing happens with actual different languages of mm-hmm. the world. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you learn, I don't know, <laughs> like, I don't know, German yeah, or exactly. another language.
3: Exactly. As soon as you learn a new language, you learn new ways of defining things, explaining things and new ways of... Mm, yeah, seeing things differently. So in a way, it, it expands uh, your mind, and so it's it's yeah, and, nice to learn language.
2: I find that it also uh, helps bridge different kinds of conversation with people because you have the tools to communicate. So coming back to what you were saying about conversation, a conversation is really powerful when you're able to have the language to speak and that can be any language right like you sit with someone and you don't speak the same language and you smile or you get angry or <laughs> mm. you start to cry and and there's that kind of human connection but I'm pretty sure if I <laughs> start smiling at the at the deer that was standing in front of me I don't know if it would like pick that up <laughs> so so I think there's something about that you know the the bits of the language that in some ways we're Do, building yeah Is n- it- new ways
3: this reminds me because sometimes uh, I always feel like they they feel that if I, that I have fear. So I'm always like, I can't be scared because they can't feel it. I can't be scared because they can't feel it. And then and then it's always like, how yeah. do they feel it? Maybe they don't, but I don't know. It's just like, and then trying not to, I don't know if that's yeah. a language too. It's a feeling definitely. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I've been trying to observe um, a lot of these living things around me t- while I'm on the farm. It's a farm, but there's a lot of non-farm animals uh, around like mm. the deer. And yeah, it's just really good experience to reflect on these micro feelings. Like when we stare at each other, like, what does that mean? Am I projecting my own feelings onto this animal? But, I'm sure um, you do. Yeah.
3: It's, it's, no, I mean, yeah. yeah, of course we project our own way of, of existing in, in what we see, you know, what we do.
2: That's yeah, sure. and and sometimes I question that you know is is our technological future or now rather is the way that we are changing the world the way we you could say augment our landscape and objects, living things, surroundings, so on. Is that like us projecting our own reality onto you know okay. these yeah. things? And that's something to reflect on as well and think about, which I. I've been really wary of, and I and I, yeah, it comes up a lot, especially when you think about biology and you know many living things. But in technology yeah. too, recently with all the different sensors that different devices have, I, the concept of privacy comes up and so on. So, who gets to make it? Like you were saying, who gets to make it, and what intention is that making for? Yeah, my um,
3: about this about changing the environment. We, uh, we also have the, this thought that, I mean, it's, it's not 100% like this, but I like this idea or trying to change a bit the idea because as, yeah, like human species always for many, many years, we always been changing the environment in order to live more comfortable, like within the cities, doing all these things. And, and maybe now it's time, now that we almost destroyed our own planet, it's time like to change ourselves. That's why it's like, we have this also cyborg idea. It's like being more unique or more personal if, if, if some people want, some people don't, and that's okay. You Having your own experience, but then more, maybe it's time to, to change ourselves and, and understand better where, where we are instead of changing constantly the planet, you know, to live more comfortable. And then it's also in, uh, being inspired by other species that we live with, like the animals haven't changed environment so much they've been able to adapt uh, well some of some of them it's more they they haven't changed so much environment they they adapt themselves and actually our species they we've been changing so much so maybe it's time to yeah to change ourselves instead of changing what we have yeah or like
2: um or like like you said with conversation beginning more and and Obviously, we mean conversation in a metaphorical way, but having more dialogue with those aspects of life that we try to control, you know, to fit Mm. us. And having mm, a conversation to, yeah, like you said, listening. Um, Mm. Maybe we can listen, maybe... It's time for us to do that. So. Yeah, and
3: I think also That's it's a beautiful important. thought. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also important the idea of not centralizing Earth in humankind. Or like, also totally. sometimes I, I go to, I went to some debates or, or whatever, and then they said, AI, how we can do machines good. And they like, maybe we should do it more like humankind. And I'm like, why? I mean, humans can be really good, but they can be really bad too. So humans are not that great. Sometimes they have this idea about you know, humans are like, wow, the best speed. I mean, we do great things, but we do terrible things too. So maybe not being human, it's also nice. And also this idea of we're not the center of the world and so we, we share this planet with many species, with many things that live that we don't even perceive, I mean. Even if we don't see a mountain move, doesn't mean that it's not moving. It's not a lie. So this idea of many other other ways. Even
2: in our language, I wish that we could have new vocabulary for that too because I was thinking the other day, I was sitting in this room with a typewriter. It's a lovely device. I I love a typewriter. (laughs) Um, And I was writing and I was thinking, okay, what are the words for living things first of all living things they're not things they're beings or non-human you know the word non-human comes up a lot and non-human is so human-centered <laughs> it's like it's like the other it's like not not us not us others. exactly
3: <laughs> totally <laughs> totally totally and yeah yeah yeah. i think we i think we shouldn't be scared of creating new words i i also think too that creating new words help us to to create new thoughts a new a new ways of existing, of being and relating for sure. And also the word augmented, I feel like this it's uh, for me I, I I don't feel that comfortable either because it feels very hierarchic, you know. And it's something augmented it, it I don't know, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I related like it means it's better. It's like maybe maybe it's not better. I mean yeah. I always yeah. say it is like maybe feeling earthquakes for some people it's not better, it's worse. So better worse is a very subjective point of view so that's why it's like we feel like more we are transforming but not not in a not for being better or being worse it's just like to have a new experience of reality just a different one yeah
2: i love that because so much of um also advancing technology advancement augmented these words have an ideology set you know, not the word itself, but like um, how we've been using it has a connotation that it's better shaped like we, we it's about better. It's about us um, changing ourselves to either survive more comfortably or, you know, scroll our social media faster <laughs> or whatever Um that we can think like that or or it's in the context of things that I feel uncomfortable about like um, war and military and so on, which I, you know, it's another area mm. that augmentation comes up or, or healthcare and so on. So mm. these things, I think um, these words either by changing the word or, or by applying new ways of thinking to the word, I think could be interesting. And, mm. and I like the, Perspective changing, just change, um, just change of scenery, change of view, change of perspective and perception hmm. can itself be really, really powerful. Yeah, not just yeah.
3: transforming. No, not being not being as scared of changing or of transforming. It's like it's in your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah. We can. Yeah. We can't leave it here. No. Maybe. Oh. Yeah.
2: That sounds good.
3: <laughs> it's been like really nice to recognize, uh, reconnect to you. When yeah, I, same when here. I, 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 to be honest, I didn't know it would be you. I saw it I was like, I know her. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's really nice to see you again as well. I actually saw Neil last year in Copenhagen, and mm. that was nice as well. Yeah, it's nice to, I forgot that, you know, you're a choreographer and that I've been actually really interested in choreography just because, you know, gestures, um, micro gestures, macro gestures come up a lot for me and I came across some really amazing people. One of the people is uh, Sharon Eyal and her own work, but also with Bathsheba. And I thought that, you know, it was totally transformed, like I completely, was taken away by (laughs) the the work. So I'm really interested in, you know, the body movement of movements. Mm. Yeah. That was really sweet.
1: You just listened to a conversation between Yazaman Chiri and Moon Ribas. It was also a conversation about the conversation that each of them are having with nature. They talked about their connection to nature, the meaning of nature, the meaning of wind, and the ocean, and and when to let go of control, and how much control you still need to navigate the ocean. And
0: of course, that made me think of the Great Wave. So, so your event basically is called the Great Wave. Can you give me a little bit of insight? Why did you call it like this? And what is it actually? The Great Wave is a virtual and in-person business festival with the mission
1: to make business more beautiful and humans more human. It's gathering thousands of people around the world. It's trying to create a wave and it's trying to prove that it's possible to create a wave in these times. We came up with the name actually last year, December, 2019, eerily before the pandemic hit us, because Mm -hmm. we just had a feeling that this year, 2020 was going to be some epic sea change year. Little (laughs) did we know, but we had a feeling something was in the, something was going to come up, something, really massive was going to happen. And we were very interested in the many facets of the wave. The wave as in um, the biological phenomenon, but also the wave as in social activism, the wave as in losing control, the wave as in a new communion between humans and nature, which also
0: Yasaman and Moon of course talked about. Mm -hmm. What does the great wave mean to you or waves in general? Well, I think that's a good question because when you said great wave, I think like I said in the in the intro I'm half Japanese of course if you're half Japanese you immediately have a picture in your mind because thinking about Japan basically I think there's one famous picture it's the great wave of kanagawa and I I once read a little bit more details about the because I was wondering why is it so famous actually and I really underestimated the impact it has because the personal perspective is really like it's a cultural icon because I think Japan was melted with the nature, like from a religious point of view, Shintoism, etc. But also from a culture point of view, because what I didn't know beforehand, for example, Van Gogh also was inspired by that, or for example, Debussy La Mer was inspired basically by this picture. And I really underestimated what a simple picture can have an impact on the world. It relates what you said; it creates a movement, inspires people. And it kickstarts something. So when I think about it from a professional perspective, I think both talked about surfing. And that's a beautiful picture, I think, because they also talked about sensing. And that is an interesting thought, because if you are riding the wave, there is no fact where you know when the wave is coming. So you need to sense into the sea. And that's also what we're doing with Forward 31, basically. We need to look into new upcoming topics and it's somehow not something you can only do with rational thinking and analytical thinking. You need to have intuition and sensing into that. Also what I think Steve Jobs in in his late days then said, he understood now that intuition is stronger than analytical thinking. And that is basically, I think, a takeaway we can take from the great wave. It's interesting, though, what, what I believe
1: Yaseman said when she talked about collective sensing, that she raised the, uh, the question, are humans too individualistic to form and act like a superorganism,
0: like termites, ants and bees? Shall I jump on this? Because I, I, have, I have a perspective on that, because I think it's a very Western thought, to be honest. So mm-hmm. if you looking into China, for example... It's all the companies that are somehow interconnected in ecosystems. They have super apps, etc. It's very collective. And it's how Asia in general works. And I think the perspective that we are all individuals is a very Western one. And by this, I think it's more like, I think maybe we should be more open to look in what happens in Asia, understand how they cope with things, how they handle things, and vice versa. I think uh, we have been in uh, industry pretty much... Been in our spotlight in Europe specifically. So, by this, sometimes things that are new for us are already state of the art for many centuries, to be honest.
1: There's a lesson to be learned to, to build on that, which is that we are all very myopic. And when Yazaman and Moon talk about the ultimate augmentation, they also refer to the augmentation of our own arrogance, our own hubris, to assume that we are the center, we humans are the center of the universe, and actually be much more devout and humble. And reconnect with nature and surrender to nature, seize control back to nature, and understand that as the German philosopher Tobias Ries says, we are pawns among pawns, right? We're mm-hmm. we're we're actually not separate from nature. And Yeah, that maybe we'll
0: we'll leave the listeners with with that thought. We'll leave it with that. And maybe someone is writing a book about surrendering and losing. I don't know who this could be, but (laughs) a little teaser. But we'll leave it with that. So that was a further episode of the Next Visions and House of Beautiful Business podcast, season two. Look into the different podcasting platforms and we're happy to join for the next discussions the next time. Thank you very much, Tim. Thanks, Christian.